Chapter Ninety of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The trial. The day at last arrived after long investigations, when the judgment of the court was to be pronounced. All the accused had been removed to the conciergerie to be in readiness to appear when called on. Oliva continued to be frank and timid. Cogliostro tranquil and indifferent, Rateau, despairing, cowardly, and weeping, and Jean, violent, menacing, and venomous. She had managed to interest the keeper and his wife, and thus obtain more freedom and indulgences. The first who took his place on the wooden stool, which was appropriated for the accused, was Rateau, who asked pardon with tears and prayers, declared all he knew, and avowed his crimes. He interested no one. He was simply a knave and a coward. After him came Madame de Lamotte. Her appearance produced a great sensation. At the sight of the disgraceful seat prepared for her, she who called herself a Valois, threw around her furious looks, but, meeting curiosity instead of sympathy, repressed her rage. When interrogated, she continued as before to throw out insinuations, stating nothing clearly about her own innocence. When questioned as to the letters which she was reported to have said passed between the Queen and the Cardinal, she answered that she did not wish to compromise the Queen, and that the Cardinal was best able to answer this question himself. "'Ask him to produce them,' said she. "'I wish to say nothing about them.' she inspired in nearly all a feeling of distrust and anger. When she retired, her only consolation was the hope of seeing the cardinal in the seat after her, and her rage was extreme when she saw it taken away and an armchair brought for his use. The cardinal advanced, accompanied by four attendants, and the governor of the Bastille walked by his side. At his entrance he was greeted by a long murmur of sympathy, and respect. It was echoed by loud shouts from without. It was the people who cheered him. He was pale and much moved. The president spoke politely to him and begged him to sit down. When he spoke, it was with a trembling voice and a troubled and even humble manner. He gave excuses rather than proofs, and supplications more than reasons, but said little, and seemed to be deserted by his former eloquence. Oliva came next. The wooden stool was brought back for her. Many people trembled at seeing this living image of the queen sitting there as a criminal. Then Cogliostro was called, but almost as a matter of form, and dismissed immediately. The court then announced that the proceedings were concluded, and the deliberations about to begin. All the prisoners were locked for the night in the conciergerie. The sentence was not pronounced till the following day. Jean seated herself early at the window, and before long heard a tremendous shouting from the crowd collected to hear the sentence. This continued for some time, when she distinctly heard a passer-by say, "'A grand day for the cardinal!' "'For the cardinal?' thought Jean. "'Then he is acquitted.' And she ran to Monsieur Hubert, the keeper, to ask, but he did not know— he must be acquitted she said they said it was a grand day for him but i well madame said he if he is acquitted why should you not be acquitted also 
Jean returned to the window. "'You are wrong, madame,' said Madame Hubert to her. "'You only become agitated without perfectly understanding what is passing. Pray remain quiet until your counsel comes to communicate your fate.' "'I cannot,' said Jean, continuing to listen what passed in the street. A woman passed, gaily dressed with a bouquet in her hand. "'He shall have my bouquet, the dear man,' said she. "'Oh, I would embrace him if I could.' "'And I also,' said another. "'He is so handsome,' said a third. "'It must be the cardinal,' said Jean. "'He is acquitted.' And she said this with so much bitterness that the keeper said, "'But, madame,' do you not wish the poor prisoner to be released jean unwilling to lose their sympathy replied oh you misunderstand me do you believe me so envious and wicked as to wish ill to my companions in misfortune oh no i trust he is free it is only impatience to learn my own fate and you tell me nothing we do not know replied they then other loud cries were heard jean could see the crowd pressing round an open carriage which was going slowly along flowers were thrown hats waved some even mounted on the steps to kiss the hand of a man who sat grave and half frightened at his own popularity this was the cardinal another man sat by him and cries of vive cogliostro were mingled with the shouts for monsieur de rohan Jean began to gather courage from all this sympathy for those whom she chose to call the queen's victims, but suddenly the thought flashed on her. "'They are already set free, and no one has even been to announce my sentence?' And she trembled. New shouts now drew her attention to a coach which was also advancing, followed by a crowd, and in this Jean recognized Oliva, who sat smiling with delight at the people who cheered her holding her child in her arms. Then, Jean, seeing all these people free, happy, and fetid, began to utter loud complaints that she was not also liberated, or at least told her fate. "'Calm yourself, madame,' said Madame Hubert. "'But tell me, for you must know—' "'Madame, I implore you, you see how I suffer.' we are forbidden madame is it so frightful that you dare not oh no calm yourself then speak will you be patient and not betray us i swear well the cardinal is acquitted i know it Monsieur de Cogliostro and Mademoiselle Oliva are also acquitted. Monsieur Rateau condemned to the galleys. And I? cried Jean furiously. Madame, you promise to be patient. See, speak. I am calm. Banished, said the woman feebly. A flash of delight shone for a moment in the eyes of the countess. Then she pretended to faint and threw herself into the arms of Madame Hubert. "'What would it have been?' thought she. 
if I had told her the truth. Banishment, thought Jean, that is liberty, riches, vengeance. It is what I hoped for. I have won. End of chapter 90. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.